Not only is it deeply fulfilling to make podcasts that bring new perspectives on society to folks, with Anchor, it's incredibly simple. It's a free podcast host with tons of creation tools that help make cut and polished podcasts straight from your phone or computer. Anchor makes podcasting simple. They distribute your work to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other major platform distributors. They come with a built-in advertising system so you can make money without a minimum listenership. It's got everything you need to make a fantastic podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, welcome to Deconstruct. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci. On Deconstruct, we present a series of the societal myths that are still convincing our people to act against their own interests. We explore a multitude of perspectives on Deconstruct to give origin points to ideas that feel as though they've just been around forever, to show the institutions and corporations that have profited and benefited to follow the money trail, and to trace the societal ramifications of how these myths initially impact American life. We do this to equip a listener with a wide series of perspectives and lenses and a fresh pair of eyes to look at a situation and make their own informed, educated, and mindful decisions of how to participate in this world. Today, we're going to be talking about something that causes a lot of people in the justice and left communities to struggle. We're going to talk about the way that our work could benefit so much from finding a deep and genuine way to connect itself to a greater spiritual picture. Today's myth is the myth that leftists do not have the ability to connect to a spiritual center because it has been co-opted by such problematic entities. So we're going to figure a little bit of that out today on Deconstruct. Leftists deserve the ability to connect to something that's deeper than the movement. How are we able to heal in the current power dynamic existing? I mean, the world's on fire right now. And we're still expending ourselves to do the work. The further up we go, from working class, to middle class, to upper middle class, to owning class, to millionaire class, to ruling class. What happens to our hearts as our recognition climbs the pyramid of power? We tend to have a really one-dimensional approach to how we perceive this, of cynicism and bitterness towards the ascending roles, of cynicism towards the idea of power. Our cynicism is just. The vast majority of the power to which we study and reflect upon is gotten through deeply ill-gotten means. The measures of the aristocracy, of billionaires seizing and plundering and pillaging the wealth of our entire country, of cannibalizing its people, and creating the cruelest circumstances in recent memory for a deeply skewed profit structure. The spite and bitterness we feel towards these bodies is truly well-deserved. And for a group of people that study the dynamics of power so closely, ask a leftist about a power dynamic and you'll get 72 straight hours of explanation. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk style. 
We have an obsessive connection to the understanding of power, but it's coupled with such a deep and potent bitterness and resentment to what we understand. We've learned too much about power, and we have to sit and deal with the gruesome repercussions of what that does to our psyches. I propose that we find a way to connect ourselves to a deeper source of power, a benevolent source of power that runs diametrically opposite to the forces of oppression, challenging our existence, threatening our existence. It's debilitating to imagine the highest sources of power in the world as the final bosses of capitalism that we have yet to take down. It is exhausting to look into the sky for power and see Jeff Bezos' chrome dome, Mr. Clean, evil twin face looking down at us. Honest to God, it is exhausting. How depressing that vision of highest power seems, you know? And yet, I really understand the cynicism that comes from the community of the left towards religion. After all, popular religion through the lens of Christianity has been one of the greatest proponents of oppression in the history of the world. Missionaries, colonizers, they came with the cross before they came with the gun. Praising the white supremacist gospel of the Christian church, ransacking countless nations of Africa, India, and Southern Asia during the peak of imperialism, destabilizing the kingdom of Hawaii and its annexation to, into a state, and inflicting massive, bloody, and disgusting wars in the name of a god and a lord that enabled the ruling political factions of the time to do whatever they wanted. Christianity has made a really bad cosplay of itself. Currently, there are supposed Christians leading multi-million dollar corporations that are praying their way to their fourth, fifth, sixth private jet. There are videos of a man named Jesse Duplantis, one such megachurch millionaire mogul, touting the acquisition of yet another private aircraft valued at $55 million, taken straight from the gullibility of the believers of his cult following, which he says he was just ordained by God to get this jet. He said that, God told me to get another private jet. There's more than enough reason to be deeply skeptical and deeply cynical of a religious system that lets a man like this exist. One of my favorite passages of the Bible exactly because of people like this, it's a passage that says that it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to pass into the kingdom of God. I think that just puts it out loud and clear. And yet... The base of the left deserves to find the ability to plug into the divine. They deserve a vehicle of restoration, a connection towards a deeper intuition, and a consuming catharsis that allows them to heal from the daily woes of the world. But my god is it hard to find something like that. I spent a lot of time in college researching the slave narrative of Frederick Douglass, which is a truly seminal reading for those who are journeying into abolitionism and anti-racism. It displays the hypocrisy of Southern Christianity full force. One of Douglas's owners during the later years of his life, a man named Mr. Covey, was a disgusting person. At the length of a narrative describing sexual assault, brutal whippings, forced breeding into captivity, he finds himself stoically as one of the cruelest people of this tale.
Mr. Covey was a man who would leave his plantation for long enough, just long enough, to give the slaves on it a sense of security that their oppressor had left the premises, only to return moments afterwards, during the lull of the enslaved men and women's temporary respite, to inflict the harshest of psychological and physical cruelties onto the humans he exerted his twisted sadism towards. The catch was... Mr. Covey was a beloved man of his pastoral community. He was considered a holy man and beloved by the slave-owning members of his community. The rich, wealthy, cruel folks of, uh, surrounding him deemed him a righteous man of God. How in the world could we get it so twisted as to let a man who actively practiced psychological warfare against a helpless populace, how, how could we picture such a man to be holy? He went to the Old Testament for so many of his preachings, forsaking the ideas of turning the other cheek, of treating the most vulnerable of a community with love and respect, tending to the poor, feeding the sick, clothing the naked. He said to hell with that, and he went to the Old Testament to focus on their teachings of subservience to the master. He preached the slave owner's gospel. To slave owners who would line up at these services, they would beg for mercy and salvation at the hands of an ever-living, an ever-loving Jesus that was white as a bedsheet. Covey was a preacher of humility and servitude in those moments, of subservience to their master, their God above, in Jesus Christ. But in doing so, he created a twisted and disgusting God complex, because when the plantation owners would return to their homes, they would return to their cruelty and justify it by the sermons preached by the slave owners themselves, talking about subservience to the master. They would plead to God in the church and return to the plantation to become the God demanding subservience. This series of sermons and the utilization of Christianity became a sweet pill that was able to pass the normalization of the cruelties of slavery through the lens of religious justification. It allowed for a really bitter and disgusting proponent to become widely absorbed and accepted by the populace because of its Christian background. It abused the trust of millions of practicing Christians to justify the unspeakable cruelty of slave ownership, the denial of human rights, the whippings, the overworking to death, the assault, and the forced breeding of human beings whose descendants were born into captivity. The previous model of American spirituality is truly heinous, built upon the foundations of white supremacy and more than willing to engage in putrid acts. One can argue that the church was co-opted by Satan itself way back into the 1600s, and that it has adapted and mutated its means to survive as a white supremacist body of destruction all the way into 2020. The perfect example is the instance of Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, a gross woman named Paula White, calling Trump a man saved by Jesus. Hey, honestly, that is more than enough evidence to show you the depravity and evil that existed centuries ago in Christianity has found a way to sustain itself into the modern era. What I'm saying is, I get it. 
I get how damn difficult it is to practice any semblance of a healthy spirituality while fighting for justice in the world. So much injustice. The children's crusades. The British imperialization of India in the 17th century. Rhodesia. Kenneth Copeland Ministries. The proof of this twisted system is in the pudding for how wrong we've taken organized religion in the direction that we've taken it into. There's abundant proof to how twisted and depraved and unholy the modern Christian church has gotten in the past millennium, all the way up to modern times. As a former Roman Catholic turned spiritualist, I have no idea as to what I should do in my neck of the woods to find a Christian pastor whose sermon isn't half comprised 50-50 between racist dog whistles and old Jeff Foxworthy jokes is a one in a billion shot. It's, it's like winning the lottery or being struck by lightning. A broad spectrum of American spirituality is utterly bankrupt in its own morals. The most popular form of religion in America completely forgot that its figurehead was a brown, socialist man who was tortured to death by the soldiers of the state for claiming to be descendant of God and holding its Philistines accountable for their greed and their sins. That is the Jesus Christ that American Christianity has forgotten. Somehow, we got so damn confused that we allowed NASCAR to take up the same wavelength of attention span. And yet, even after all of this, I still say that the left needs the ability to explore its connection to deeper spiritual roots. Even though Southern Christianity was one of the deepest and most effective means of America achieving its dark political aspirations, of normalizing slavery, of the Jim Crow era, of massive prison expansion, of the Southern strategy and Ronald Reagan and the reign of white-collar stock market looting, it's... in spite of all of that, there's still something worth looking into. Even after all of this gross injustice, and we haven't even gotten to the pedophilia yet, mind you, that's still a thing, I still believe that the modern left deserves to find a spiritual base in its endeavors. To be an abolitionist in 2020, fighting for the justice and liberation of people we don't know, is deeply holy work. I refuse to let the narrative of holiness be co-opted by old wrinkly men in monkey suits. They've already co-opted enough. It's draining work, and we need to be able to fill ourselves up with the validation that there's something out there that goes deeper and vaster than people, that is listening and paying attention to us and our struggle towards collective freedom. It is so important to allow ourselves to feel reverence towards our work and to the beings in this crazy world that are actually seeking justice like us. I'll be honest, I was an altar boy back in the day, and I loved every minute of the procession. The smell of frankincense, the structure of the ceremony, the reverence that I felt towards a benevolent creator that heard my wishes and dreams and fears and paid attention, sometimes even answering. It felt like such an empowering time of my life. And... For everyone wondering, I didn't get fondled, not even once. There was a thriving multicultural community in the church that I went to, of Ghanaian, 
Hispanic, and white folks like me, who all came together under the same roof to give praise to a God that believed in justice towards the righteous and the healing of the wicked. It just filled my soul up. And in retrospect, I miss that sensation. As a 24-year-old man now, with articulate understanding of the dynamics of power and a deep-set memory of the atrocities committed by my people in the name of God and of capitalism, it feels so good to think of the world in a different scope. Like, oh, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world and controls a vast portion of the wealth of our planet? Well, let's just take a look at the solar system and see how much that private equity means. Let's take a look at the, the, the universe, the galaxy, and outwards, and see how much that trillion dollars means. It is so powerful to look towards a scope of something that is more powerful than the machine of profit. That's a bigger than earthly capitalism. It is so refreshing to look at life with a scope that makes all of that dark money seem like it really isn't all that influential in determining our lives. Leftists look at the top of the pyramid of power, and so much of the time they see it as the greatest enemy, the thing they're supposed to hold the greatest disdain towards, the military-industrial complex, the private prisons, the offshore shell accounts in the Cayman Islands, and the think tanks that convinced Bernie Sanders to suspend his campaign. Man, that was hard. That was... It's just nice to look at the world with a magnitude that makes these entities seem not so powerful. That's the kind of perspective that could really heal a struggling freedom fighter in this day and age. Although the majority of the podcast today is comprised of taking pot shots at all the horrible things Western Christian religion has done in the name of its fictitious white Jesus, I want to make a call to the base of the intersectional liberation movement to find a rooting of power in something deeper than the humans that have politicized and corrupted the religion. I know it's out there. I know it's out there. And I know it has healed me. And I know that it's given me strength to continue in my own personal fights for liberation, even out here in white rural America. The image of the divine has been taken so deeply for granted and twisted in so many ways by the American right wing. And it's hard to find power in the divine without feeling how cheesy and corny and false the modern day Billy Sundays of the world have made it out to be. Like, what good has the fundamentalist beef with biology even done? In the religious narrative of America, everybody that has a fight to fight says that God is on their side. But in the end, who is the one that truly has God blowing the wind into their sails? I say it is those fighting against their oppressors, doing the difficult work towards liberating themselves and their communities, their family and friends, and people they don't know in the name of a kinder and gentler society. The reason why leftists deserve to find deeper roots in the divine during their political fight, it is because it is the birthright of those who put action and reflection towards the process of building a just world. That's today's episode of Deconstruct. Folks, I want to thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast episode. I want to thank you for your time, for your support, and 
standing by as deconstruct builds. We're still in the stages of infancy. This is the end of episode 5, the beginning of our very second week, and we need help to get ourselves off the ground and running. Our momentum has been great so far, so today I am asking you to join us in becoming a founding member of Deconstruct. What does that mean? It means heading to our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Deconstruct Podcast, and going to the, the link says support there you can throw in whatever amount of money you would like to in order to help us continue to grow and build this baby little podcast up together your monthly donation will help us fuel the fire of investigative and perspective education for dozens of episodes to come while you're there follow deconstruct on our various platforms and social media We have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all in one place, as well as your Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the places where you'll be able to listen to Deconstruct on are right on that link tree. So go pay us a visit and follow us on all of the platforms that you want to connect to Deconstruct with. Our YouTube channel is in the mix right now, and soon you'll be able to like, comment, and subscribe with the best of us. In parting today... I wish you peace, joy, health, and safety. Stay sharp, stay cool, and stay beautiful out there. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci, and this is Deconstruct. Deconstruct.